Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. I hope your June is off to a great start, and I'm so glad that you guys are tuning in to Book Lights today. We have a fantastic urban fantasy author on, and you all know because I write paranormal, I'm all over whenever anybody comes along who says, I have an urban fantasy author. I say, yes, please. (laughs) So I can't wait for you to meet Christy Cherish. And if you haven't read her yet, you're in for a treat. I'll read her bio here so you can get to know her. Christy is actually a scientist and a science fiction urban fantasy author who resides in Vancouver, Canada. Christy writes what she loves, adventure-heavy stories featuring strong, savvy female protagonists and the occasional RPG fantasy game thrown in the mix. She's also a co-host on the popular Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing podcast. She received her degrees from Simon Fraser University in Molecular Biology and Biochemistry. She's super smart, you guys, and a PhD in zoology from the University of British Columbia. I did put a link to her website right there on the Blog Talk site if you're listening live or if you're listening later. You can click that anytime and go to her website, sign up for her newsletter. You can check out the beautiful covers there, and she also has a blog. So anyway, I don't want to delay any longer. Christy, are you there? You bet I am. Yay, I'm so glad you could be here today. Are things warming up in Vancouver, or does it stay cool there all the time? Um, it, it, it depends what you mean by warm. And uh, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me on the show today. Um, this is going to be fun. I, I love the fact that I get to talk to another paranormal author. Always right? so much fun. <laughs> I um, agree. Yeah, it, it, it depends what you mean by warm. Like, for us, when he's you know, 21, 22, 23, 25 degrees is smoking hot. So um, we've been getting close to that. We've had a couple of days where we've had that kind of weather. We're actually having a nice sort of overcast day today, which which I um, I actually prefer uh, because it, it's, um, you know, it, it's a bit cooler. It's, uh, you know, it's um, easier to turn on the heat or the fireplace than it is to uh, turn on the air conditioning. Well, that's probably true. I've only been to Vancouver once back when I was uh, working. At, I wasn't writing full time. And there was a, a um, conference. It was a trade show conference up in Vancouver. And my biggest memory is that we went to dinner and we came afterwards. We went to dinner and we came outside and there was like this clock tower. And I'm looking at it and it's still very light outside, not even like twilight sunset. I'm looking at the clock and it's 10 o'clock at night. I was going, what? Yeah. Um, so you guys have very long days up there. We do. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's kind of a funny climate because we don't get that much snow. So the ground doesn't ever really freeze in, um, in sort of the lower mainland of BC. It's sort of that effect from the water. But you're right, we also get that northern uh, summer daylight where, and even right now, like, I mean, I, I don't think we're quite near the longest days of the year yet, but um, we're getting there. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, 9 o'clock at night now, you know, during the wintertime, if I'm going out for a nighttime walk, it's like I'm out there by about 7 because it's dark. <laughs> it's really dark. Um, you know, and about, you know, 
30 on, you know, sort of those shortest days, you're, that's like the last time I'll go out to the pathways out back because otherwise it's just going to get pitch dark. Um, and of course now it's like 9 p.m. Oh, it's still late for <laughs> yeah. an hour. I'll take the backwoods path and loop around the block. And, um, you know, and of course it's getting, it's getting light at like 5 a.m. Yeah, so you don't have a very well. long night time. <laughs> not, not, well, we're used to it. We're used to it. And it's, it's not like up somewhere like, uh, you know, in the um, Northwest Territories and uh, Nunavut and Alaska, where it's, uh, you know, just uh, daylight all day long, um, you know, certain, certain times of the year. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> well, I know we're here to talk about the Kincaid Strange. It's it's a trilogy, right? Do you want to tell everybody what it's about and why they should go grab those books? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, Kincaid Strange is um, is sort of the series, and it's um, urban fantasy mystery, one of my favorite favorite sort of subgenres. Uh, and it's uh, it's about Kincaid, who's a practitioner. Uh, somebody who uh, communes and talks to the dead and raises zombies in Seattle with uh, her roommate, who's the ghost of a grunge rocker. Um, and uh, the series sort of kicks kicks off when uh, practitioners and um, zombies from the the underground city, the sort of paranormal paranormal hub of um, of the wet coast, uh, when um, the zombies and some of the practitioners start turning up dead. And um, Kincaid is both becomes very quickly a suspect uh, and she becomes a target for whoever's killing them. And uh, she has to, she and her roommate have to figure out what's happening and who's behind it uh, before she either ends up in jail or, or ends up the next victim. Uh, and that's kind of the, the kickoff to the series in, the, in a nutshell. Uh, the books are uh, The Voodoo Killing, um, Lipstick Voodoo, and Voodoo Shanghai. And Voodoo Shanghai is the third and most recent release. And are in your world, is the magic out? Like, do people know that some people can raise zombies, or are they trying to keep that secret? They know. So there definitely is sort of an, an underground kind of, of a paranormal paranormal hub that people don't know about. So in, in this particular world, um, I, I'm always fascinated when I write about how you mix, and, and this is why I'm drawn to urban fantasy, it's how you mix the paranormal and, um, you know, magic and, and things like that, how you make them realistic and how they'd actually work if, if they were kind of in, in the regular you know, the regular world. And for me, it's, it's never an issue of, you know, nobody knows about it and it's totally secret or everybody knows about it and it's all out in the open. It kind of falls in sort of a gray area. People know in, about some things, but maybe not about others. Um, so, you know, what do people meet Kincaid for? Most of her work comes from raising the dead for things like world dispute. Um, you know, or where's the money hidden? Uh, we need the bank account. Um, you know, and, and the kinds of petty things that, that people tend to squabble about. Um, and, and so that's where a lot of her business comes from. And in this particular world, it's, there are a couple of different zombies 
that you can raise. There's, there's sort of the short-term version for a wheel dispute where you summon the ghosts and bind them to their body and they basically have to, you know, answer questions and, uh, you know, a lawyer might be there or family members might be there or, or even something ridiculous like, um, uh, you know, summoning a, a zombie for to do a beer run because they have ID um, or, <laughs> you know, for a, yeah, you know, so things like that or, um, you know, messing with time of death. If you happen to be a gangster or an organized crime, you know, you raise a zombie to have them walk somewhere else. And, and you know, um, so, so things like that. And, um, but there is a kind of, those, those zombies tend to not last very long. And um, they're, they're sort of a, a temporary. So it's just a sort of a, you know, a link to the ghost. Whereas um, the other zombie, which has now been made illegal, is, is not quite immortal, but it's, it's getting there, you know, where it's more of a permanent zombie, where somebody can come back for 300 odd years and, um, you know, continue living their lives and, um, you know, accumulating power. And that's been made illegal. And of course, all those zombies are in hiding in places like the underground city or just in plain sight. And um, uh, so partitioning is a necessity, but it's also really frowned upon. Um, There's also, you know, there's always a cost to doing something, whether it's, you know, in in the real world, it's it's, uh, this, you know, like um, you you do exercise, you're going to, you know, if you do exercise, you're probably going to hurt the next day. But if you don't do exercise, right. you know, or, or get to fitness, you're also going to have a consequence. There, there's always a give right. and take. And, and magic in, in this world, too, sort of the, the connecting with the other side, the, the kind of energy that fuels the land of the dead, um, is, is, is not something that the living, um, you know, living tissue cells, the living body, um, it, it's not something that's very good for it. So um, Kincaid often has to deal with, with, and all practitioners have to deal with hangovers and the effects of, of almost a poisoning um, from using the other side and, contact, and con, you know, contacting the dead um, and the potential for addiction and, uh, you know, to the other side. And, um, you know, that makes it a very frowned upon thing uh, to a degree, but people need it. Um, you know, they need a practitioner or if you're a lawyer or if you're a family, eventually you're going to need a practitioner for something. So it's, it's that kind of a, a weird place in society that Kincaid um, occupies. And, um, uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, things like a ghost right. Um, so now that you can summon ghosts, well, um, and, and this is something Kincaid and her roommate have to deal with. Well, you know, her roommate is an ex-grunge star. Well, he's valuable to a, um, you know, to a music company or to the people who own all the contracts to his, um, you know, to his music. So what are his rights? If he's not alive anymore, can they just bind and trap the ghost? And um, so, so those kinds of topics are interesting to me. And I, I try to explore in my books. Yeah, it sounds it, it sounds very intriguing because of course nobody wants to lose anyone, but if you could bring them back, is that the right thing or, you know, you're you're tackling a lot of big issues there with that. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's um the question 
there, there's a lot of urban fantasy I've read, uh, which, you know, tackles the very good question of how do we do it? So, you know, uh, trying to attempt to, uh, to contact the dead or to, you know, to discover magic. Um, and, and I guess my, my direction went, well, if we could do that, what are some of the consequences that are going to happen in, in society? Um, and, and I guess, I guess that's where a lot of the, my, my series, a lot of my, my writing inspiration came from. Yeah. And, and I think that it's fascinating that it's sort of out that people hire the practitioner. Um, I think that that's a really cool concept to have that because oftentimes um, in urban fantasy and paranormals, you know, we're hiding um, so that the regular humans don't know that there is a werewolf pack who lives in town, but yours is right there and they're hiring them. <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that, it's sort of that duality of they're hiring them, you know, um, but then there are also people that, you know, like zombies and such who might be living beside them or a practitioner who might be living beside them, but they're doing it secretly because uh, they don't want their neighbors to know. Right. <laughs> well, I have to ask, because you have this science background, um, how much science do you, you know, how does that influence your books, if if any? I, I, I think it does, and I think it does it subconsciously. So when I'm writing, I'm, I'm, not atten- I'm not thinking about, oh, my gosh, I need to put science in here. But there's a logic process, it's sort of two fronts. There's writing the novel, which is heavily in, influenced by, by my um, career and all my training, which is all in the scientific method. Um, but then there's also just the aspect of I can't forget cell biology and I can't forget, um, you know, things I learned in early ecology or evolution or um, genetics. So all of this stuff is, is, is in the back of my head when I'm designing characters or when I'm I'm, as I'm writing through the book and um, problem solving different things, like how, what would be the effects of, of doesn't exist, but if you were using it to animate a, a cork, what would happen? What would be some of the physiological um, uh, concerns and aspects? And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of that is, um, I, there, there's, there's a lot of that that ends up in my books um, just because I, I, I can't forget those questions that I would have about something when I'm reading a book, for example. So, um, again, I think it'd it'd be like with a medical doctor. If a medical doctor is reading a procedural about, like, something like a a TV show I used to watch with Hess, which is all medical procedures, but there's lots of those shows out there. And they can't, for, I, I would imagine that a medical doctor can't forget their medical training when they're watching a show like that and picking out mistakes or picking out, you know, how they're problem solving through a particular medical, medical issue. And, and so for me, I think when I'm writing books, it's, it's, it's a similar thing. Um, but the scientific method and just plotting out experiments and that kind of experimental procedure really, um, uh, I find influences uh, just my, my my process of writing. Right, right. I love that. And our our listeners are always really interested in 
what your writing journey actually looked like because it sounds like from all your degrees you you weren't someone who was like I'm going to be a writer when I grow up um you know so when did the writing bug bite you and how did the idea pop in your head were you reading something else or you know what what did your writing journey well mine kind of started in about 2010 while I was doing my PhD uh and I was kind of getting close to the point where I I had to defend my thesis and um so, you know, part of defending your thesis is, is you've got to uh, write, you've got to write this, this massive, almost novel-sized length up of all your research. And um, I, I kind of, as graduation drew nearer and nearer, I kind of realized that I, I loved the experimental portion of research, but I wasn't so keen uh, to do the next career step, which is running a lab and writing grants and um uh, teaching at a university, although I didn't dislike those things. It, it wasn't what I was passionate about. Um, and so I kind of started playing a bit of a, a fantasy game in, in, in my head, which was, well, if I could do anything in the world uh, and it wouldn't feel like a job, um, what's something that, that I would like to, you know, what, what's something that would just be a fun, anything out of the hat, um, you know, anything from actor to just, you know, a, whatever, you know, just uh, world's open. And, um, uh, you know, part, part of the, you know, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed as a graduate student all throughout my um, undergrad and, and uh, master's and PhD was, um, you know, things like fantasy video games and reading fiction. Uh, so fantasy and sci-fi, I was a huge reader. I would read on the bus up to, um, up to the lab every day. I would be playing video games or reading on my phone while I was running microscopes. And um, so I thought to myself, <laughs> I'd never really tried writing before. And I kind of thought to myself, well, it'd be really fun to be an author. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I, I did not drop everything and, and start writing, <laughs> um, you know, and just say, I'm going to be a writer. Uh, what I did was I, I started investigating whether or not I would enjoy it. Um, so I would start writing in the evenings, and I, I just kind of explored the, that idea of writing a novel and would I enjoy this and um, uh, looking at uh, inexpensive ways. I'm, I'm a big proponent of money goes one direction, which is towards the author. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I, um, I, I am not a fan of these thousand, um, you know, many thousand dollar workshops. That that, um, that people get um, uh, that, that that have become popular over the past the past while. Um, I'm I'm a much bigger fan of free workshops at the library with writers and residents. I think those are amazing opportunities, and I I was able to do to do one of those um, at the Vancouver Public Library uh, community centers where they often have uh, a published author um, who does writing workshop classes, and you know you could do it for. I think 60 bucks for a semester kind of thing. It, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, things like at the community college where they have an instructor come in to do, um, I, I did a great one at, at Vancouver Community College, which was a, a really, really affordable and fun uh, and fully accredited sort of uh, nighttime creative writing class. And um, though I'm not sure if they have it anymore for anybody in, in Vancouver. Um, but, but those kinds of things are what I explore. So, I, you know, spending as little money as possible. Uh, I always tell people you don't need to spend money to become an author. It, it's one of those professions you can pretty well do for free. 
Um, looking at online advice that was for fun, there's a ton of authors out there who do podcasts like this um, and, you know, do, um, uh, you know, will blog on the website about their writing journey and their thoughts on writing. So I, I did all of that. And, um, you know, really I'd be writing in the background. And by the time I graduated, by the time I had my thesis uh, done, you know, I'd sort of do an hour of fun creative writing and then an hour of my thesis and then it was three hours of fun writing and, you know, um, an hour of my thesis. And, but by the time I defended, I had a novel. Um, that oh my gosh. Finished, <laughs> along with my I thesis. love it. And I originally I was like, okay, well, chances are my first novel is not going to get picked up. That doesn't happen, but you know, right. I send it out to agents anyway. I'm going to give this a shot. And then once it's been rejected by, I said a number like a hundred agents, I'm going to self publish it. And that's going to be a fun journey. And then I'll go on to the next one. Um, and so I sent it out to agents and, um, I, within the first few dozen, uh, I had an agent of an author that I was, I, I'm still a big fan of, um, I was fan of it at the time and, um, uh, she got back to me. So my current agent, Carolyn Ford, and, uh, she loved my book and, uh, within about three months she had it sold to Simon and Schuster. So, wow. Um, and then a few, yeah. And then I think before the first book in my owl series that was owl in the japanese the adventures of owl before the first book in the series was even out we had kankade strange um sold to uh random house so it um uh so i i, I kind of got lucky and um i think also just not being from a writing mfa background and not realizing how the difficulty bar that i <laughs> yes. Um, so a bit of that ignorance and <laughs> and luck, all kind of and hard work, but combined to um, to have a bit of success. <laughs> right, right. Well, I always tell people, you know, luck only works if you show up. So you you still have to yeah. show up and and you know and be in the right place at the right time, and all of that requires work and effort you know, to, to show up. So I think that's awesome. And what, what's next for you? Are you going to write any more in the Kincaid Strange series or are you, is the Owl series done? The, so both this, we, we were kind of chatting about this earlier. It's, you know, I think it just goes to show how up in the air publishing as an industry is right now. Um, you know, mm -hmm. when I started off, very few, you were either self-published or you were traditionally published. Never did the two meet. And um, now I think every traditionally published author I know, and, and some of them are bestsellers, are also doing hybrid. Um, right. So I, I think that's gone. Um, and, and it's just the industry's changed. So it used to be that if you published a series with uh, one of the big, Five. I think it's almost down to four now because of the, right. the conglomeration that is happening. But, um, uh, you know, w one of the big five, which traditionally has been uh, Heche, Simon & Schuster, Random Penguin, or sorry, Penguin Random House. I always call them Random Penguin. I can't resist. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> Macmillan and HarperCollins are kind of the, the big five. And um, a, a lot of, you know, really well-respected smaller publishers out there as well. Um, you would never get your rights back. There was just no way. Um, yet now I've been hearing, you know, anecdotal stories from authors out there 
where their publishers are just giving them the rights back to their backlist. So they're, mm-hmm. then they've got the rights back to a series that has been professionally edited, um, you know, already has readership, and they're able to put their backlist up online, um, either on Amazon or something, and uh, they're, they're uh, continuing their series. So the contracts for, um, for Kincaid Strange and for Owl have, um, have expired, but um, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, a lot of things could also happen. The other thing I've seen happen is where um, a series has been ended by a big publisher, but the author goes off. And, of course, everybody's continuing to write. And they might right. have another series, a different series they're doing, either get picked up by Netflix or picked up by, um, you know, by another publisher or hit a bestsellers list. And then all of a sudden, their backlist right. still might be with the other publishers get renewed because there's now interest in those other series. Don't know what's going to happen. Um, so at the moment, I'm not looking to self-publish more books in um, Owl or, or I'm not looking to self-publish um, books in Owl or Cade, but more books in the series are certainly never off off the plate. Um, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. I may decide to self-publish at some point. Um, currently, I'm working on new stuff uh, to, uh, to send out. I wrote like four different novels last year. Um, but of course, they're all in drafts. And I'm, I'm now spending this year trying to just get them off my desk and um, right. you know, in front of editors. Uh, but, you know, after that, maybe I, it just, it, it used to be that I, I would say, no more owl books uh, unless the publisher wants them or no more Kincaid books unless the publisher wants them. Uh, and at the moment I'm, I'm still sort of mentally right there. I'm, I'm working on uh, other stuff, but I don't rule it out like I used to. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there might be more stories to tell. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And um, so there's nothing in the hopper for us to be pre-ordering just yet. No, I'm um, I'm actually working on out, out of the novels that I've been working on last year. Um, uh, the one I'm I'm trying to get out now, and of course I'll I'll be talking more about it once the novel is done, done and off, um, you know, into my agent's hands. Then uh, I'll be talking more about it. But uh, but it is a spice. So um, I I um, I had an idea for for a fun sort of international spy spoof about the, um, oh, the, the people in, in the background who um, try and prop up the world-famous spies out there, um, you know, who are, are worshipped as, as these, um, you know, sort of geniuses and may not be, um, and uh, what they <laughs> go through, so uh, what the people in the background go through, so, um, and their trials and tribulations. So I'm having a load of fun with that one right now. And um, it, it, it's, uh, I think the things I've been working on or I've been wanting to work on are definitely lighter in, in, in nature. Um, you know, I have another urban fantasy that's um, a draft that I need to get back to and, and things like that, um, you know, a murder mystery. But I found that um, I'm leaning more towards the lighter stuff. And I think that's just because of what's going on in the world. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. For, for your own mental health, the lighter things are probably more fun, but I do feel hope swelling as people get vaccinated and the world starts to open back up. Hopefully it'll be a different world next year. I hope. 
Yeah, I think everybody's hoping that. Yeah, we're all ready, I'm sure. Everyone has cabin fever. Even I've had writers on every week for this through this whole pandemic. And we were all at first, we were all laughing about, you know, we've been training for this our whole lives in our writer cave. But (laughs) as the year progressed, no one knew it was going to last that long. And now we're like, I miss seeing people. (laughs) No. Well, and I even writers are ready to get back out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's just, it's getting out of your own household and not seeing people just on Zoom. It's, it's um, there's, you know, there's, there's also a component, too, that um, I found in my own work as a writer. Um, I, I, I don't know about other people, but I found myself very distracted last year. So I, I was working, mm-hmm. you know, and as you pointed out, it's, you got to sit down in the chair and you've got to get the work done. So I, I've always been right. a proponent of it doesn't matter what I'm feeling. It's, it's I got to get X, at least getting X number of hours or X number of pages or, or whatever my goal is for that day. Getting something done and hitting a goal always makes me feel better. Um, it's always a good motivator for me. And so, you know, I was, I was getting work done, but I found that normally I do – my, my general pace is about two novels a year and getting them from draft to um, finished project and, and off my desk is kind of what I've, I've been doing for the past, for the past few years. That's kind of been my pace. Um, but uh, this, this, you know, last year I, I managed to get four manuscripts done, uh, like four full drafts done, but I didn't finish. Um, you know, I didn't get to that point of editing anything just because right. everything was just so distracting. Um, so this year I'm, I'm sort of forcing myself to get them off my plate and um, then right. on to the next. Because it's, it's, it's not a good thing when you're procrastinating editing a draft by writing more drafts. You're, you're writing yourself <laughs> into a not very good corner. The productive <laughs> right, but it's Very productive. (laughs) Well, we're rapidly running out of time, but how do you like readers to get in touch with you? Should they go to your website and sign up for your newsletter or are you on social media? How can they get in touch after they read the book? Any any and all. Um, They can absolutely contact me through my website, uh, which is uh, Uh, com. They can find me on Twitter at um, Christy Cherish, um, or on Facebook, they can always message me um, and leave a comment. And I'm also on Instagram at Cherish Christy, oh. just to be different. Yes, right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on today. It was great chatting with you, and good luck editing all those manuscripts. Big fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.